Well, good morning, people. Thank you so much for inviting us. Uh, let's, let's greet in Japanese. It's very easy. Good morning in Japanese is Ohio. Ohio. Don't say New Jersey. All right. All right. So um, I am very thankful that many of you have prayed for us, and many of you are still continuing to pray for us. Um, I'm here with my five-year-old son, Toshiki. He's right there. You want to say hi? Okay, he's uh, pretending to be shy. But uh, yeah, uh, he, he's a great, uh, great son of mine. And we have his younger brother, uh, Subaru, in Japan. He is now being taken care of my in-laws in uh, near Tokyo. Um, as I am finishing up my support raising as a missionary to Japan, and uh, I, it was a little too much for me to, to have the two-year-old son with me at this moment. And so uh, I am here um, coming back from Japan in May with my uh, older son Toshiki with me this time. And uh, we, are, uh, we just started our deputation trip yesterday, and this is our first stop, and we are very glad to be here with you. Thank you so much for uh, inviting us, inviting me to, to preach the word of God, and thank you so much for praying for, for us. As many of you know, my wife Erisa and I are missionaries to Japan, and in, in God's eternal and good purpose and plans, Erisa was brought back to, to be with the Lord in heaven uh, in February this year. Uh, her cancer was found last, uh, last year, September, and uh, that was uh, shocking news to us, to all of us. And uh, God, we, we, we don't know, we can't comprehend what God is doing, but we don't have to comprehend. We can't comprehend, that's okay. As long as we know that the Lord, God, is a good God, He has so much more wisdom than, than we do, and we don't have to know exactly what he is doing. At least we know that he is doing everything for his good purpose and his good plans, and he will use anything. Erisa's passing for his glory. So we can count on him. He has promised. He has given his promise to us. He has rede revealed himself, who he is, to us. So... What a blessing that we, we can trust in this Lord. Uh, in the Sunday school, Sunday school hour, I forgot to um, show the video of my presentation. So I'm hoping to do that later in, during this uh, sermon time. But also, I have my newsletter and my prayer card uh, with Erisa on it um, in the back table. Uh, in the center there. So if you are interested in uh, learning more about us or, you know, have this on your refrigerator or something to pray for us, that would be awesome. Um, so today, so yeah, as, as Pastor David introduced me, uh, we met at the Master's Seminary and uh, that was a very sweet time of my life and uh, I was I, I never imagined myself, I, myself that uh, I would study at the graduate level, and uh, that's just um, God's, God's miracle that I, I was able to do that. And Toshiki-kun, um, you need to be quiet. Okay. Um, so that was God's miracle that I studied at the Master's Seminary and Faith Bible Seminary in Indiana, and I graduated there last year. And uh, I am now in the phase of going back to Japan as missionary pastor. I want to be a pastor at my um, wife's parents' church in near Tokyo. So if you happen to come to Japan, contact me, and uh, you know I'm, I'm near Tokyo, so I hope to see you. Um, so Pastor David, he is such a kind person, right? 
He has arranged my, my stay and, and itinerary here so well that I didn't have to worry about it. I just moved out from my home uh, two days ago and packed everything for my, my son and myself for the 37-day trip. And uh, I had a presentation and preaching this morning, so what a, what a busy time. Um, and uh, so Pastor David, he, as a good friend of mine, he is supporting me so well, and I'm so grateful. He and his wife, Emma, uh, they, they've been to Japan, and I believe they enjoyed their time in Japan so much, uh, part, partly because of their interest in Japan that brought us, you know, close to each other at the Master's Seminary, and uh, I, I praise the Lord for that. Um, so in Japan, where I grew up for 20 years, uh, there is statistically about like 1%, 1.5% Christians, but the actual number of Christians is much less because the government, Japanese government statistics, includes every, every, everything uh, as Christians, like Mormons and Jehovah's Witness and Catholic and everything, right? And so 1.5%, the, the biggest number among that 1.5% of Christianity is Mormons. Oh, my goodness, right? So if you count evangelical Christian Sunday attendance, the, these, this number is just for, for Sunday attendance, church attendance, is 0.2% of the whole population of Japan. Basically, people don't know where the churches are, what they are doing, and they are not prohibited. Um, Christ, Christianity is not prohibited in Japan. There's no physical severe persecutions. But uh, in people's mind, there is this kind of internal uh, persecution that happens oftentimes among the families. So that's Japan. Um, 0.2%. Of the uh, 125 million um, is, of course, you know, a, a very small number. Although it, it, it's like, you know, maybe a million or, or maybe less. But 1% um, uh, is about a million people. So um, there are Christians in Japan. But 99% of the people are unreached. So Japan is the second largest unreached people group in the world. And so uh, at least, say, like 123 or 4 million out of 125 million people are headed to hell without knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a devastating reality. And when I was 21, that was the year I came to the States, and uh, I listened to the sermon from Isaiah 6. I don't remember the contents of the sermon, but I was struck by the message. I got to realize this devastating reality that someone has to, you know, preach the word in Japan. God would use someone who would go for him. And so I, I raised my hand to God. I promised to God that I would go. So send me, like, just like Isaiah prayed. Um, so I, I'm finally, after 20 years since then, I'm fi finally being ready to be sent to Japan. And thank you for your prayers for that too. So today I want to speak from Isaiah 6. And I want you to be heartbroken like Isaiah must have been so that you will also respond well to God's calling, commission for your life. Let's uh, open Isaiah 6. Verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up with the train of his robe, filling the temple. In the year of King Uzziah's death, what, what was happening then? King Uzziah was the king of Judah for 52 years. He was a successful king, and under his 52 years of leadership, the nation prospered. Um, 
200, almost 200 years before that, King Solomon was the king of um, Israel, and the nation um, had the, the prosperous time then. And yet, after King Solomon died, uh, the nation went into turmoil. Uh, the nation was divided into northern kingdom and southern kingdom, northern kingdom Israel and southern kingdom Judah. And many, 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 or most of the, the kings of these nations were bad. Uh, they didn't do the, the will of the Lord, and the, the nations, two kingdoms, had the severe um, consequences of that. So, 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 many, so much struggle in that 200 years. But almost 200 years after that time, or th of that time, King Uzziah uh, led southern kingdom Judah um, according to the will of the Lord. And so he, he contributed to the, to the prospering of the, the nation that time. Well, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he was a strong military leader who conquered foreign enemies, enemy nations. He loved the soil and devel developed the kingdom by agriculture and all that too. And so now after 200 years of Solomon's reign, God's people in southern Judah enjoyed a prosperous time during Uzziah's reign. But then Uzziah became too proud before the Lord. He did something that he was not supposed to do, and he didn't repent. And so he was struck by leprosy, and his last years were very miserable. And then Uzziah died. That's how this passage opened. So what would you feel when a successful leader of your country for 52 years died? And a person whom you look, looked up as a strong leader who was so successful in restoring the country, and he dies. That, there should be a sense of discouragement and despair, right? So that was the time for Israel this time. And even though Uzziah led the kingdom quite well that time, if the people hadn't had his leadership, they would have been so disobedient to the Lord still. We can say that because of Uzziah, the people's tendency to go against the Lord has was put on hold for some time. But their original nature was so sinful. So that's why... Even in the, the beginning of the book, Isaiah in chapter 1, he said this. It is um, chapter 1, verse 4. Alas, sinful nation, people heavy with iniquity, seed of evildoers, sons, of, sons who act corruptly, they have forsaken Yahweh. My uh, reading comes from Legacy Standard Bible, so instead of putting... God's name, the Lord, it, it says Yahweh here. So you are sinful, wicked people is Isaiah's beginning of his message in Isaiah 1. And God's judgment was to come. And in chapter 5, Isaiah pro, pronounced, pro, um, uh, he prophesied that uh, they were going into exile. They were going to be taken away from their own land. That was God's judgment. And so he was giving warning after warning to these people. You guys are sinful. You need to repent. Uh, there's salvation available for you. If you repent or else, God's judgment will surely come. That was his message. Then in chapter 6, Isaiah went back to his initial calling, which he received in the year of Uzziah's death, King, King Uzziah's death. And so um, that was his, his de description of how he received his calling from the Lord. From here, we can learn the three ways, at least, to be heartbroken before the Lord so that he will use us for people's salvation in all the nations. So first, we must be heartbroken by knowing who God is. Let's read uh, from verse 1 to, to 5. 
in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called out, while the house of God was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh of hosts. So back in uh, verse 1, here we see that Isaiah is uh, speaking of his experience. When King Uzziah died and people are anxious about what's going to happen to them, now that their great leader is gone, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up with the train of his robe filling the temple. When Isaiah saw this vision, he must have sensed uh, a sense of peace, a sense of relief, because we, we, you know, they don't know. We, we don't know what's going to happen now, now that our great leader is gone. But then Isaiah saw that God was on his throne still. He was seated on his throne. That reminds us of his authority, right? Um, just before this um, service started, I, I finished my Sunday school hours, my, my presentation of Japan's, um, Japan's need of the gospel, my mission, and I had to run back to, to my hotel to pick up, pick up these things. And, you know, as I was running, there was no authority in that to, to forget something and to run back <laughs> and, and pick up these things. But I was thinking that, you know, God, He's seated on the throne. He, he is served by others. He doesn't have to run. He doesn't have to serve others. God, that Isaiah saw in his vision, was that he was seated on the throne. And the Lord is still there. The Lord didn't abandon his people. He was still there with them. So there has to be a sense of relief in Isaiah's heart. Then a sense of awe. Because the Lord God was seated so high and lifted up. That imagine that we look up above this, this roof um, and uh, we see God's throne high and lifted up. That we cannot approach him. We cannot touch him. We cannot reach him. He was still there. And from there the train of his robe just filling this temple. What, what presence of the Lord that Isaiah was seeing and feeling. So, the sense of awe. And then verse 2, seraphim was above the Lord, each having six wings. So, seraphim is, are, are the angels. Um, in Hebrew word, the word Im at the end of the word uh, is, is for the amount, what's it called? Like, um, not one, not, not singular, but uh, plural, plural. So um, there are two angels, and they were saying to one another, right? So, so they were flying um, just to be ready to serve the Lord and praising the Lord. And they each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. Uh, seraphim were, was, or seraph was, um, the name come from fire in Hebrew. So it was a fiery angel, a burning angel. And fire is often associated with God's judgment in the Bible. And it is partly because God is a consuming fire that burns everything that is not holy, like Gold is refined by the fire, and it becomes pure gold. 
So fire often speaks of God's holiness that brings judgment to unholy things or unclean things. So seraphim, the, the two fiery angels, were, you know, they were without sin. They, they were holy in that sense. They were not defiled. And yet, they were not able to see the face of the Lord. They covered their face with two wings because seeing the Lord meant even to them death, not only to men. And then they covered their feet with, with two other wings. Uh, as Pastor David prayed earlier in the service, that the Moses, where Moses met the Lord in the burning bush, that was the holy ground, and he had to take off his sandals. Where, you know, our, our feet uh, signifies our, you know, un uncleanness, and um, even seraphim, they, they had to cover their feet with their two wings. And uh, with other two wings, they, they flew near the, the throne of God. They were ready there to serve the Lord. And they were praising Him. Verse 3, one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. Why is holy repeated three times? This is the only place in the Bible that God's, attributes is, God, God, God's attribute is repeated three times in a row. Holy, holy, holy. God is, of course, good. God is love. God is wise. But nowhere in the Bible says the Lord is love, love, love. The Lord is good, good, good. The Lord is wise, 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 wise. So the only attributes of God that is repeated three times in the Bible is holy. This is because the holiness is the primary and essential character of our God in the Bible. The Hebrew word holy means cut apart, distinct, or separate. And God is separate from, from anything else, everything else. God is not like us or anything else. He is perfect. There is no one like him. In this sense, holiness is not just one of God's attributes, but it is the overarching perfection of God, overarching character of God, description of God's per perfection. And this holy God is called Yahweh of hosts. Yahweh is the name of this God. So earlier in our service, we, we read Exodus 3, where Moses encountered God. And in this mountain, God revealed himself, his name as Yahweh to, to Moses. And in that context, um, Moses saw the blazing fire that was burning in the bush, but, but, but the bush was not burning. And surely that, that was mysterious, mysterious um, revelation of God himself. So let me read verses 4 through 6 again. God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So what was Moses' reaction to that? Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then God said that he had seen the affliction of his people, Israelites, from the slavery in Egypt, and that he was going to send Moses to release these people from slavery. So Moses answered, Who am I that I, I should go and release these people? I'm nobody. Um, and what, what if the people ask me, who, what, which God sent send you to us? And what, what, should I, what should I answer to these people? What if they asked the name of God who sent you? And here is God's answer to that. Verse 14 reads, And God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God said that his name is I am who I am. This means that he just is, right? I am. He is. He depends on nothing else. He just is. That's his absoluteness. That's his self-existence. Nothing defines God but himself. He's matchless. So in this sense, God's name, Yahweh, I am who I am, also implies his holiness. He is set apart. He is, he is, um, he, he doesn't depend on anything, right? It's about the godness of God. So God says that his name is I am. And then, and God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. So here God says that his name is Yahweh. The most Bible, by English Bible translation uh, puts the Lord in all caps here. Um, and instead of transliterating the Hebrew four alphabets, that, that should be uh, pronounced Yahweh. So in this context, Moses was receiving his calling from the Lord, but he was afraid. And he was wondering, like, what should I say to these people? God, what is your promise to us? And God's promise that, given, that was given to Moses was that he was with him. Certainly, surely, God was with him. And his name Yahweh, I am who I am, is the, the covenant of that promise that, that was given to Moses. So Yahweh, his name, I am who I am, that name is also his name forever. And God said, this is my memorial name from generation to generation. You see, Yahweh is the name of God that implies God's covenant with his people. He was not just the creator somewhere out there. He was not just the self-sufficient, self-existent, all-sufficient God out there. Yes, that. He, he's all that, but not just that. He's the God who makes covenant with his people, special relationship with his people. So if you are his, you can rely on him. You can trust him. Because you are his, that he made covenant with us too. We can enjoy this special relationship with him. That's what his name Yahweh implies. So that's why I love my legacy standard Bible uh, translation that puts Yahweh instead of the Lord. So back in Isaiah 6, the seraphim were saying to each other, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So God's holiness or God's godness is seen on the earth as his glory. So John Piper explains here, God's glory is the manifestation of the holiness of God. God's holiness, his incomparable perfections, his intrinsic infinite worth, when that goes public, when that goes on display, it's called in the Bible, the glory of God. The glory of God is the radiance of His holiness. The holiness of God is concealed glory, and the glory of God is the revealed holiness. So after Isaiah heard the seraphim praising God, God's holiness and glory, in verse 4, Isaiah felt that the, the threshold where he stands at, um, the foundation was shaking at the voice of the seraphim. And the temple was filled with smoke. Again, that, that signifies God's presence. Where Isaiah was not only seeing his robe coming down from high and lifted up from his throne, but he sees the smoke. And he could 
smell the smoke, right? God's very presence, just like God appeared to Moses in, in the mountain of Sinai in smoke, God's presence was just as real to Isaiah there. So what kind of response is proper in this situation? How should we respond if we were to see such a vision? Look at Isaiah's response in verse 5. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh of hosts. Woe is me, was, God, uh, was Isaiah's response to, to God. So woe is the term used to pronounce a curse on someone often resulted in death. I am ruined. I'm lost. I'm devastated. I am dead. I'm ruined. That was Isaiah's response to what he saw in his vision. And he says, For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King Yahweh of hosts. Even seraphim, they covered their face, they covered their feet. And here, Isaiah, having unclean, uh, or having un unclean lips, he felt that he was nowhere near that he should be uh, with God, this holy God. He knew that he was a sinful, defiled man, unworthy, even to praise his, his, his glory, his holiness. His heart is unclean. His thoughts are crooked. That Isaiah knew because as he said that I have unclean lips, Isaiah knew that that unclean lips speaks of what's in his heart and thoughts, right? Just as Jesus said, the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false witness, slanders. So when Isaiah encountered this holy God, he knew that he deserves death. He is so unworthy. He is utterly unclean before this holy God. So he was heartbroken to see God's holiness and his own sinfulness. So that's the proper response. What about us? Do we know the holiness of God? Do we see our sin, evil, and wickedness that cannot be accepted by this holy God? Do we know that we are unclean people deserving death? Or better yet, do you see this holy God with your spiritual eyes? Do you recognize the holiness of God? Even unbelieving people can be devastated by their sinfulness, by their uncleanness, by their wickedness, right? But only believers can understand and be devastated by knowing this God's holiness. His godness, his true value of who he is, is enough to make us heartbroken. So this is the first heartbreaking matter. We need to be heartbroken by knowing God, whose name is Yahweh. I am who I am, and His holiness, His godness, and His glory. And the next, secondly, we must be heartbroken by our salvation in Jesus. So we are sinful, we are filthy, utterly unworthy before this holy God. Isaiah is devastated by this reality. Then an amazing thing happened to Isaiah. Look at verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Do you see the picture of salvation here? Isaiah didn't even ask for forgiveness, but it was initiated by God that seraphim took that burning coal and touched his mouth with it. 
The altar there is the altar of sacrifices. By shedding the blood of the animals and sacrificing their, their lives, burning them on the altar, the people back then were cleansed and they were forgiven. They received forgiveness by God. Now, when the burning coal that came from the altar touched Isaiah's lips, mouth, he is pronounced righteous. A fiery angel took the fiery coal to cleanse him. So again, God is a consuming fire and he brings judgment to unclean things, but he gives forgiveness. He gives atonement for, for our iniquities. And our uncleanness, Isaiah's uncleanness, is completely burned. He is justified by the Lord. He received forgiveness. His iniquity is taken away, and his sin is atoned for. So this pictures the future sacrifice, future lamb, and future altar, the cross. By grace, God initiates our salvation too, our forgiveness, and our justification through the perfect lamb, Jesus, dying and being sacrificed for our sins on that altar, the cross. Whoever comes to Jesus with repentance and faith is accepted by the Lord and forgiven by the, this holy God. Isn't this heartbreaking? Why did God gave, gave his, sent His only begotten Son to, to save the sinners like us? And not only sending His Son to this earth, but He sent His Son to the cross and experience, let Him experience the agonizing, horrible death on the cross. I was seeing this, this cross with the thorns, thorn of crown. That was put on His head. And this, this reality that our Savior Jesus Christ was put on the cross, experienced the agonizing pain and death on the cross for our sins, that is a heartbreaking reality of our salvation. There is nothing within us that merits this salvation, but God, this holy God did it by His grace. Oh, we should be heartbroken by the death of God's Son on the cross in order that we may receive reconciliation with God. So have you received this cleansing? Have you received eternal salvation in Jesus through your faith in Jesus? To receive this cleansing, it is necessary that we know, that you know how unclean you are. And you need to come approach to God with a repentant heart, asking for forgiveness and receiving His atonement. Nothing, that, nothing about us, nothing in us deserves that, that salvation. And, and yet God, in His kindness and love, He wanted to save the sinners and He wanted to make those believe in Jesus, who believe in Jesus, His, his children, his sons and daughters. And he sent his son, his only begotten son, to die on the cross in the place of us so that we may become his children. So that God would accept us as justified, righteous people. So if you really know the love of God, you should be heartbroken by it. But it doesn't stop here. We still have unclean areas in our lives that need to be burned still by God's holiness. So this is the process of sanctification. We are pronounced as righteous when we believe in Jesus for eternity, but we still have the unclean areas in our lives that we need to be sanctified, to be more like, more like God, more like God's Son. So that is our progressive sanctification that, that will last as long as we live on this earth. But once, but once we are called into glory after the end of this life, 
we are glorified just as Jesus received his glorified body, and then we will have no more sins to deal with. Oh, what a glorious day that would be. And we would be completely free from sin and sufferings. So let's continue to ask for the Lord's mercy in our daily cleansing and in our daily sanctification to be more like Jesus. So we should be heartbroken by our salvation in Jesus who was killed on the cross in our place so we could be the children of God. And third, we must be heartbroken by the fact that so many people are lost and that God, God commissions us to reach them. Now Isaiah was, has received God's cleansing and forgiveness, then came God's calling. In verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Was Isaiah enthusiastic? Would he say, would he said, would he say, here am I, here am I, send me, Lord. Like, you know, maybe some Christian singers, they are pumped to, to do music ministry and, and they, they want to they wanna go, they say for the Lord, but, you know, maybe some of them are seeking their own satisfaction and, and glory too, maybe. Here am I, send me. No, Isaiah was not like that. He was devastated already by his uncleanness, his sins. So when he said, here am I, send me, I don't think he could be enthusiastic. But he knew that his sins were atoned for when the burning coal touched his lip. And he knew that he was now, now to use his lips to speak for God. So when he heard God's voice seeking someone who would go for him, he didn't even ask, he didn't even know, they didn't have to know what the mission was or where he was going to be sent. But as soon as he heard the voice, he couldn't help but to say, here am I, send me. Because I have received your forgiveness and salvation, I also receive your calling. Are you looking for someone to go for you? I don't think I can go on my own strength, but here am I. Because you've, you've cleansed me, sent me, because you're with me. I think that was Isaiah's demeanor. And he didn't have to know what he was going to do. He never asked what the will of the Lord was, because he was willing to do whatever that God would tell him to do. Now, the Lord gives him a specific calling. This calling was to tell the people God's judgment to come. The Lord is looking for people from every generation who would go and warn the people of the coming judgment. Verse 9, Yahweh said, Go and tell these people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not know. What, what is he saying? He's saying that, They've been so far gone already that what you're going to do is to pronounce judgment to them. Verse 10, render the hearts of these people insensitive, their ears dull, and their eyes dim, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. So the Lord is telling Isaiah, you go and preach. You Warn people for the upcoming judgment. But know that the people are not going to listen to you. They are not going to see or understand their wickedness. They are not going to repent. So as we see, we can see from the chapters before this, 1 through 5, we see that God has been inviting them to turn back to Him. God was saying that forgiveness was available for them if they repent and come back to Him. So go tell them that the Lord is inviting them to come back, but understand that they are not going to do that. They will not listen. Their hearts are so hardened already. They don't want to believe. They don't want God to be in charge. Therefore, they will not repent even when you warn them. What a heartbreaking state of Israel. So Isaiah responds. Then I said, 
Lord, how long? And he said, until cities are devastated and without inhabitant, houses are without people, and the land is devastated to desolation, and Yahweh has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. The Lord is saying, continue doing that until there will be no people to hear it, hear your message. But then, in verse 13, there is still hope for this people. Yet, there will be a tenth portion in it, and it will again be subject to burning, like a terebinth or like an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. The Lord is saying that the nation will suffer just like a forest that is burned and trees in it are felled. And yet, a stump will remain. From it comes a seed. He's talking about the future coming of Messiah, the Savior, Jesus, through the remnant of God's people who will remain. So, there is the message of hope still. Not, for, not only for Isaiah's contemporary listeners. Uh, they were headed to judgment, but God will keep some people for his seed to come, the Savior who was to come for salvation of his people. So, in the next chapter, God's promise of the seed is more crystallized. Verse, um, chapter 7, verse 14 reads, Behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And 9, 6, and 7 reads, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will accomplish this. So brothers and sisters, our salvation came from Yahweh's zeal for his people. He was and is heartbroken for the lost and he is zealous to reach to, to save the lost. And he wants to use us to bring his message to these people, the message of judgment and the message of hope of salvation in Jesus. We can see God's zeal to bring salvation to all the nations in the last command that Jesus gave to his disciples in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And even more, God or Jesus said in Acts 1.8, You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the end of the earth. There we see Jesus' heart for all the nations. He wants to make disciples. He wants to save people from all the nations. And he will send his disciples to do that. He commands his disciples to do that. Do you hear in Jesus' last words that the zeal of Yahweh who wants to save the people of all nations? And this is a command for all his followers. We are called to make Jesus' disciples. And an amazing thing is that as uh, Pastor Dave prayed in his prayer early, earlier, just as Yahweh promised to Moses that he would be with Moses in his commissioning, Jesus also promised to be with us always until the end of this age. And that's why we can go. And that's why we must go. Because Yahweh, Jesus, is with us. So if you have received this child, God's own son, Jesus Christ, you are called to 
be his messengers, to bring his word to those who are not saved. How have you responded to this call? Do you say with Isaiah, here am I, send me. Send me to these people around me. Send me to these people that only I can, I can bring this message to. Or are you just going to lay back and keep soaking in God's grace? Do you think that this is a call for someone else? Some missionaries or some pastors, some others, not for you? Do you not, the, do you not feel the zeal of Yahweh in these words? So it has to start with us. It has to start at where you are at. But it doesn't stay with where you are at. We are commanded to make disciples of all the nations. We must take a part in bringing the gospel message into all the nations and make his disciples. So some actually go into different parts of the world and others send these people who would go. And it's, it's teamwork. That's how world missions work. In my case, I responded to God by saying, here am I, send me. I was crying hard. I was heartbroken by the reality of Japanese spiritual famine. So I, because Japanese average pastor's age was like 60 years old, Many pastors are much older than I was. So I, I promised to God that I would become a full-time minister when I grow older. I didn't know when that time was coming, but that was my promise to God. A long story short, almost 20 years have passed since then. And here I am now, finishing up my support raising and to really begin my pastoral ministry in Japan. There are many amazing stories, uh, especially that involve Erisa. And I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, maybe writing uh, those stories down in, in the coming months. And yes, our, our lives ha has its ups and downs, right? Oh, how I wish that I could do ministry with Erisa at her parents' church in Japan. But God's calling is still the same, and he has provided every means that is necessary for me to do his will in Japan. Because he is a good God, and he is faithful. Uh, can we see the video of my presentation now? I'm Naoto Funada, a missionary to Japan from Faith Church of Lafayette, Indiana. I grew up in Japan for 20 years. Do you know that Japan is the second largest unreached people group in the world? Christians are only 1% of the whole population. On the one hand, Japan is a great and beautiful country. It's a developed country where most people work hard to provide high quality services and great products. It's also a beautiful country and you would enjoy visiting Japan in many ways. But on the other hand, Japan has many significant social problems. It's a highly aging society with its birth rate being the lowest in the world. Last year, its population decreased by 800,000. Its economy has been stagnant for three decades. Among young people between ages 15 to 39, the highest cause of death is suicide. Japan's need for the gospel is even greater. Evangelical Christian church attendance on a Sunday is only 0.2% of the population. Although many people might say that they believe in Shintoism and or Buddhism, they usually don't have solid faith in these religions. 
because they only practice religious rituals as part of their culture and tradition. Most people are hostile to the idea of being devoted to one religion. In this nation, it's often very hard for Christians to have a vibrant Christian life or church life. I was actually born in Los Angeles and grew up in Japan from age one. My first and main language is Japanese. When I was 18, I was saved in Japan and was baptized. So I know the Japanese society as well as the general mindset and worldview of the people there. At age 21, I moved to Los Angeles, and later in my life, I was called to be a missionary. Then I met my wife, Erisa, who was already a missionary to Japan and raising support. The Lord led us to marriage in 2014. We moved to Lafayette, Indiana in 2019, and I graduated from Faith Bible Seminary last year. During my time in seminary, the Lord blessed us with two precious sons, Toshiki and Subaru. Also, as a pastoral intern at Faith Church, I was growing in the areas such as teaching the Word of God, counseling, discipleship, team leading, leading musical worship, hospitality, parenting, and so on. Last year, in April 2022, we were designated as missionaries to Japan by Faith Church. We began raising support, but in September, Erisa was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. In the providence of our good and mighty God, just within six months from then, on February 18th this year, she passed into the presence of her Lord in heaven. God's grace and His power still sustain me every day. I have peace and unwavering hope because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I need to proclaim this gospel and bring hope to the hopeless people in Japan. My goal is still the same as before, to serve at Bethel Baptist Church where Erisa's dad, Joe, is pastoring. One of the key strategies is to build a biblical counseling ministry in the church. I will strive to make strong disciples by preaching and teaching the Word of God, providing biblical counseling and its training, and using my music skills not only to train believers for musical worship ministry, but also to minister to unbelievers. So I want to finish my support raising this year and return to Japan to serve there as soon as I can. Naoto is a friendly person. He becomes friends with Christians and non-Christians. But at the same time, he has a missional mindset. At the end of the conversation, he always asks, hey, what are you doing this weekend? You wanna to come to my church and then worship the Lord together. After becoming a Christian, Naoto becomes my discipler. He helped me with my walk with Jesus, with important advice. If you are interested in learning more about my ministry, please sign up to receive my newsletters. You can go to faithlafayette.org funada to get more information or give financial contributions to my ministry. I trust in our faithful God that He will not waste Erisa's life or our pain, but rather He will bear much fruit in Japan out of it. Thank you for your prayers and your consideration of joining me in this mission work in Japan. Thank you so much for your prayers for me and for the salvation of Japanese people. And I, I want us to be heartbroken by knowing who God is. Our holy God, who is utterly different from us, and heartbroken by the salvation that is given to us through Jesus' death, and heartbroken by his wonderful commissions for our lives that he would use us to bring salvation to these lost people here in, the, in America, of course, but into the world, including Japan. Thank you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are so holy that we shouldn't be able to approach you. But in your kindness, you chose us to be your sons and daughters through the death of your son, the only begotten son, Jesus Christ. What a devastating, heartbreaking reality and salvation that is. We are so thankful, and we want to 
respond to, to you, to your calling for our lives with a sense of awe and th- sense of thanksgiving. We ask that you are going to continue to break our hearts by the reality of these things. And with our brokenhearted ourselves, that you would use us to bring the, the gospel, the gospel message, and bring salvation to the people around us who are lost, who are headed to eternal destruction without knowing the gospel. That you would use us to bring the gospel light to these people, that they would turn from their sins to, to the light, and that they would receive salvation from you. And even in case of um, world missions and in Japan missions, you would provide necessary means to accomplish this commission. This I ask in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much.